Welcome once again to Devotional. This is Pastor Ariel, and today's lesson is entitled The Royal Love Song, but I've titled it also The Bible Rules for Great Sex in Marriage, or Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex from the Bible, but Thought You Wouldn't Like the Answer, So You Never Asked. So you like the titles? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Especially that second one, because I found myself to be in that camp for many years. Um, before we dive in and explore, you know, this lesson, which is about sex, many people, the reason I've retitled it is because people will think the royal love song, oh, you know, this is going to be a wishy-washy topic. Actually, no, it's quite controversial, countercultural, in fact. Now, before we dive in, I want to remind you that maybe this is the first episode you're listening of Devotional, and I don't know what platform you may be listening in, but in the majority of them, if you go to the podcast description, you should be able to see hyperlinks um, to um, Bible study apps, Bible reading plans, of course, the Sabbath School lesson app that is free, uh, and I told you before, it comes with a free audio podcast, word for word, unabridged, and even reads the Bible le- verses for you of the lesson. So there's a, a gazoobers of uh, resources that I try to put out there for you, inspirational videos of mission stories. If you're not quite sure what to do for your devotional life, I'm constantly looking for material to add. So it is not simply a podcast, but a complete resource or as much of a complete resource that I can make so that your, your devotional life has tools to grow. And that's the title of this podcast, Devotional. Um, also, if you're blessed by the content uh, and the resources, would you please consider rating this podcast? Uh, I'm not sure what uh, venue you may be listening to, but iTunes allows you to give little stars. I imagine Google Podcasts, Spotify may do the same. So if you would leave a, a review or a rating, I would appreciate that. It actually may, helps people find this resource when they're looking for things as well. So I would really appreciate that if you could just take a few seconds to do that. So let's dive right in. As I said, this lesson is quite controversial and countercultural, not because God intends it to be that way, it's just the way it is. Um, our, our society has become um, adverse, not about sex, but about how the Bible defines sex. That's why there's, I was debating what two, uh, uh, of those two titles, what to call this lesson on, what take I would give it. And it, the lesson does provide the Bible rules for great sex in marriage. Um, but, but many people that don't like that last part in marriage, and we will talk about that in this podcast. And the second part, I think, addresses also the tension that we have within the church and probably outside the church. You know, people, people are curious, how does God feel about sex? How does God feel about my sexuality? But we may have preconceived ideas as to what God says or what the Bible says about sexuality. And because of these preconceived ideas, we never ask. Um, obviously, I'm not going to be able to answer every question that, that we may have, but I think that these principles will cover a large majority of questions we have about sex. And don't worry, this is going to be a G-rated podcast. There's not going to be any kind of, you know, how-tos or anything like that. Um, actually, just looking at the foundation to understand sex as a whole. So let's dive right in. Um, where can we start to talk about sex? Let's start with the Bible starts. Um, I tell people, I've, uh, you may not know this, but I've done workshops on sexuality uh, in many parts of this country. I've been on 3ABN as well doing these workshops. So this lesson really resonated with me. And so I've tried to condense some of those things or incorporate them into this lesson as well and condense them because there's a lot. Humans. If you want to understand human sexuality, you need to understand what is human. And that's where the countercultural uh, definition of sex begins in the Bible because it, gets, it goes against the grain of what our common culture says. And I'm not talking about simply the secular culture, but the Christian culture as well, the Christian theology. The Bible definition of what is a human goes against the grain of what m- many people think. The Bible defines humans as an inseparable whole, a whole, a complete person. You are just one entity. Um, it, most of the Christian world um, and the secular world, for the most part, too, sees humanity as being composed of two separate parts, independent parts. And, and so when, um, when you die, there's a part of you that continues. And so there's two things, the physical aspect of you and then the spiritual aspect of you. The Bible does not present that uh, uh, as being the reality of life. The Bible presents that God took dust from the earth 
and breathed into that formed human breath of life, and man became a living soul. And yes, the Bible does speak of the parts that we are, but never separate. It, it, these are inseparable components that if you take one out, we cease to be humans. We are no longer humans. And um, so let's start there. A human being is simply the composite of a physical element, the dust, with life, with this life force that God gives us. And once that happens, then we become a living being. And then we manifest four areas of existence. We have an intellectual component to us. We also refer to that as the mind. We have an emotional part to us, the heart. And of course, the, the, the obvious, the physical, the body. Um, and the spiritual, which I would call the conscience. And before you say, this is boring, listen, if we don't understand this part, none of sexuality makes sense at all. And you may think you know stuff about sex, uh, but I hope that this podcast will bring fresh insights and maybe even challenge preconceived ideas that maybe you even as a Christian may have. So hold on a second. Don't just say, ah, oh, this is boring. No, if many times, because I skipped the first couple of chapters of the Bible, I was left ignorant as to what sexuality was. And being ignorant about sex, if there's one thing you don't want to go through life being ignorant of, is your sexuality. So just hold your horses. We're going somewhere with this. Um, and don't think that, oh, I know this already. This is foundational. We're just laying a foundation that we will build on. You have an intellectual part of you, an emotional, physical, and spiritual part of who you are, and none of them function separately. When we think, we feel. And when we think and feel, it affects us physically. They are inseparable. When you are sick, it affects your moods and it affects your capacity to think clearly, does it not? So experientially, we, we can affirm the Bible's definition of a human is correct. We are an inseparable whole. We are not made up of two independent parts that the one does not affect the other. That is a big fat lie that originates from the enemy and that the world has been taking uh, captive with and it affects the way they view sex. I never made the link that how we view life and death, what happens after we die, actually has a strong correlation as to how we relate to sexuality. Now, of course, we, we have animals that have intellect, emotions, and, and they have a body, obviously. Um, but what sets us apart from animals is that conscience, the spiritual component. Animals do not experience conversion. We humans do. Animals do not experience guilt and remorse. We humans do because of this one aspect of our being called the conscience. And it's inseparable. When you feel guilty, it affects your emotions. And your emotions affect your immune system, which is part of your body. And it affects your intellect. You cannot stop thinking about things you feel guilty about. So Again, I, I make the point, we are an inseparable whole. And yes, we can identify, we can maybe qualify parts of us, but these intellectual, emotional, physical, and spiritual parts all function conjunctively, one affecting the other. Everything we do, we do with all four. Everything we do affects all four. And that's the point that I'm trying to get to because when the Bible describes us in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, for example, Paul says that God, the God of peace, wants to sanctify us completely. He wants to sanctify our conscience, our bodies, our emotions, and our intellect. God is not just interested in your spiritual part. He's interested in you completely. And when he, Paul says that in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, that God wants to sanctify you completely, he, he adds, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Spirit, soul, and body. Yeah, he's, he identifies parts of, of who, what we are as a being, but these are not separate independent parts. This is part of a whole, an inseparable whole. Um, so let's, let's build from this, right? We, God wants to sanctify us completely. He wants to preserve our spirit, our soul, and our body, our intellect, our emotions, our brains, uh, which all of them are, are guided by his spirit, by conscience, by morality. Now, understanding this is vital and foundational for understanding human sexuality. That's why the first time when the Bible explicitly speaks of two individuals having sex, it doesn't say they had sex. You know how the Bible describes the first act 
of sexual activity between a man and a woman. It's found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And sometimes we read it and we kind of get an idea of what's going on here, but we don't pause long enough to, understand, to ask the question, why does the Bible describe it this way? When the Bible describes the first sexual act in the Bible, and it does, it's found in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. And this is how the Bible says it. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. Now, that second part, and she conceived, lets us know what knew meant. <laughs> that Adam knew his wife is not that he walked up to her and said, excuse me, what's your name? What do you like? What's your favorite ice cream? That's not what he did. Knowing is sexuality in the Bible. And you know with your intellect, you know with your emotions, you know with your body, and you know with your spiritual part as well. The idea is consistent all the way through into the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 through 25, this is a controversial verse in some Christian circles, especially Catholic circles. Matthew chapter 1, verses 24 through 25, it says that Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and you know who's speaking of, Mary, right? Took to him Mary, and he did not know her till she had brought forth her first son. Now, pause there for a second. It's Jesus. Joseph is going to marry Mary, and he will not have, he will not know her until after she gives birth, which means that Mary had sex with Joseph. Like I said, this is controversial in some, uh, especially in Catholic circles. And the New Living Translation of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son, her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. In the Bible, the New Living Translation kind of just updates that expression, but in the original, it says it identical to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Joseph did not know Mary until after she gave birth to Jesus. So Mary did have sexual relations after, after Jesus was born. The reason sometimes that becomes a sensitive subject is because of this wrong perception of sex, that somehow God is anti-sex. If God was uh, anti-sex, why would God talk about it in Genesis chapter 1? The very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the Bible, one of the first things God says to the human race is have sex. Now again, in the Bible doesn't say have sex, but God does use a mathematical <laughs> term to have sex, which is, I think, indicative. He tells Adam and Eve to multiply. And when he does that, he doesn't give them a calculator. He, he tells them multiply, meaning have sex. He doesn't say add to your population, add to the human population. He says multiply, which to me kind of infers have a lot of children, which means have a lot of sex. God is not anti-sex. He created it uh, as a means of expression. And we'll, I don't want to get too far ahead. Simply want to put the first pieces together. And these are the first foundational piece of sex. You don't have sex with just a part of you. You have sex with all of you. You are an inseparable whole. Your intellect, your emotions, your body, and your spiritual component, you cannot experience one thing with just a part of it without it affecting the rest. You are an inseparable whole. And that's why the Bible, when it talks about sexuality, it refers to it as knowing, a complete package in which it affects your intellect, your emotions, your body, and your spiritual life. So did you know these things about sex? I didn't until I came to the Bible for answers to all of these questions I had regarding sex. We will build on this as we delve deeper into this wonderful biblical subject of sex on our second section of Devotional. So, um, I hope that uh, this first section provoked your curiosity a bit to stick around. Uh, I'm going to begin this second section uh, by combining two days from the Sabbath School Quarterly. I'm going to combine Wednesday and Thursday. And so I'm going to begin with a big question. We're going to build on what we just established from the first part, that we are inseparable whole, made up of those four components, uh, our intellect, our emotions, our bodies, and our spiritual life, our spirituality, our conscience. So if I'm a complete whole, an inseparable being, with what part of me do I have sex? And that is a question for you. Based on all that we've just covered on the first 14 minutes of this podcast, how would you answer this question? With what part of me, since I am an inseparable being, 
with what part of me do I have sex? I'm going to give you a little time. And I think you probably have the answer, right? With all of me. You have sex with all of what you are, all of who you are. In other words, I don't just have sex with my body. I have sex with my spirit, my soul, and my body, with my emotions, with my intellect, well, definitely with my body, but my spiritual part as well, with my conscience. I have sex with all of me. All that I do and anything and everything that I do, I do with all of me. And what I do with all of me affects all of me. So this is a second question that I have for you now. I want to get a little bit more specific. If this is the case, what is the human, both male and female, what is our sexual organ? With what part of us do we have sex? What is the organ that which we ex in which we experience sexuality? Very specific question. Um, and I'm going to try to answer this or help us go through this question or answer this question the way Jesus would answer questions most of the time. He would answer questions by asking more questions. So I'm going to ask you some questions with the hopes of discovering the answer to this question of what is the, the human being's sexual organ. So I'm going to ask you, uh, with what organ do you see? With what, what organ do you see? With what organ do you smell? And um, just for the sake of brevity, with what organ do you taste? With what organ do you see? With what organ do you smell? With what organ do you taste? If you answer to the question with what organ do you see and you said the eye, you're wrong. And if you said that you smell with your nose, you're wrong. And if you said you taste with your tongue, you're wrong. All of those are just organs that receive stimulus, that convert it into electrical uh, stimulus, and send it to the brain. In your brain, you see. All the eye, the eye is, you know, an iris in which light hits the retina in the back, and the light energy hits these rods and cones which convert that light energy into electrical stimulus that travels to the back of the brain through the optic nerve, and your brain interprets those electrical in, uh, impulses into vi visual uh, images. And that's where you see. You see in your brain. Your eye is simply the organ by which the stimulus is received. Um, the same thing with smell in your nose. You have these sensory components that convert it to electrical stimulus, and the same thing with taste. You see, you smell, and you taste with your brain. So let's. I think you know the answer now, right? What is my sexual organ? Is your brain? It's not your genitalia. It's not what's between our legs. It's what's between our ears. That's our sexual organ. And if you were thinking about another thing when I asked earlier, what's my sexual organ? If you were thinking, pause, get the children out of the living room or out of the car, <laughs> wherever you may be listening to this, um, I hope you will continue listening to this because if you did not know this, then there's a lot you did not know about sex. And like I said, this was fresh for me. This is something that has been growing and developing for the past 15, almost 20 years, and I'm still learning. Um, this is for me... At least, this helps me explain why the Bible, when it describes sex, it describes it as knowing, knowing the other person, because the experience is in the brain. In the brain, all of these elements that we've just talked about converge. You know, in the first section, we talked about that we are intellectual, emotional, physical, and spiritual. We have a mind, a heart, our body, and we have a conscience. The brain is part; is the central core part of our body. Chop off my arm, I'm still me. I can still think and I still function. Cut off my, I can get a heart transplant. You know, I can get a liver transplant, but I cannot get a brain transplant. And if you take out my brain, everything else may be functioning, but it's called brain dead. Your body may be functioning, but you are not there anymore. And the convergence of where you are is in your brain because your brain is the physical part of you, the tangible, which holds the intangible part of you, the intellectual part of you, the emotional part of you, and the spiritual part of you. That's where God communicates to you through your brain. So when you, you and I have sex, our sexual organ is the brain. And when you and I experience sexuality, we don't just experience it in our physical body, we experience it in our emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. It affects all four. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that this begins to jar a bit 
how we've approached sex because we're getting ready to go even deeper. Um, these are the, just the, the fundamentals of how the Bible describes sex. But now, with all of this information, how can we apply this? How can we apply this to our lives? How, how can this become useful for you? We'll look at that in our next segment of Devotional. So, I hope this podcast may have surprised you with some fresh insights that you may have not known before uh, regarding sex. That we are a complete whole, that sex cannot be experienced with just a part of me, and of course that the sexual organ is not what, you know, sex ed in a public school or maybe what in, in common talk is. Of course, yeah, the genitalia is special, is unique, whatever. But really, sexuality doesn't happen there. When I was in nursing school and we went through the abnormal psych training, a lot of the sexual dysfunctions, the, the, the organ itself, the, the genitalia, there was nothing wrong with it. The, the, the physiology of it was intact. The, the problem was in the brain, the, the sexual impotence, the, the inability to be aroused, all those things. It was mental issues, emotional, intellectual, spiritual things that affected sexuality. So that, that, that all that information just converged in my brain. And I feel like the Bible is so beautiful. It's so powerful because the way the Bible describes sex is knowing. It's in the mind. That's where we experience it. So let's begin to apply some of these things into practical life. And I'm going to start in a place where the lesson doesn't go. I mean, this lesson, of course, focuses on marriage, how beautiful sex is in marriage. Um, but I'm going to be step, go a step behind before marriage. And I'm going to ask a question that I think is good for married people to, to look at. But definitely if you are a single person, single because you've never married or single because you're divorced or widow. Um, so here's the question. Why be sexually pure? Why value my sexuality enough to retain it, to protect it? I mean, we, I'm calling it sexual purity or sexual integrity. My friends would call it my virginity. Virginity or sexual purity or sexual integrity, however we want to call it, is a very despised thing in secular culture. It is not valued at all. And in the church, because we do not understand sexuality the way the Bible presents it, we don't really emphasize it as much as we should. And, of course, um, growing up, I, I did hear warnings about sex, warnings about promiscuity, warnings about sex outside of marriage, but it was always in the context of fear. And I'll explain what I'm trying to say. They would try to scare us by saying you could get an STD. And I'm pretty sure you know what that is. Sexually transmitted diseases, gonorrhea, herpes, uh, syphilis, AIDS. You know, during the 80s, 90s, that became a big deterrent for promiscuity. Um, <clears throat> but there's ways to go around it, right? I went to a public school that if I went into nurses, the nurse's office that had a big salad bowl full of condoms. Free to take, no questions asked. Uh, actually, if you took condoms, people would look affirmingly like you are, you are being responsible for your sexuality. What was being affirmed was not sexual integrity, but simply be, st remain promiscuous, just protect that part of you. But as we've st stated already, you can't put a condom in your whole body. You definitely can't put a condom in your brain. And sex will affect more than just your genitalia. Sex will affect you physically, but not just physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. You cannot experience sex apart from those other components of who you are. So... Don't get, and they show the pictures, right? Grossed everybody out. No one wanted to touch lunch that year, that day in the cafeteria. And of course, usually they try to scare the girls with unwanted pregnancies. You will not be able to finish school. You will not be able to get a college degree, yada, yada, yada. And you know what? Kids still had sex. Come prom night, everybody wanted to rent hotels, get drunk, and not value, not value, but despise sexual integrity because we did not understand what it was. And the tragic reality is that many of my friends were Christians like me, Pentecostals, Baptists, Methodists. They did not value because we did not understand sexuality. So anything that is fear-driven does not last long-term. It does not hold up. It definitely does not hold up under strong temptations or strong urges. Fear always fails. When it comes to sustaining and maintaining sexual integrity, mom and dad, 
fear always fails. So if you try to scare your girl that you don't want to have sex with boys because you might get pregnant, that will not hold up. The Bible does not use fear to get us to um, embrace and value sexual integrity. Actually, the Bible, as we've been learning, is trying to get us to see sex for the fullness of what it is and not the limited, narrow view that we get from secularity, from entertainment industry, and unfortunately, from an uninformed church. So the Bible begins to present to us a much better reason as to why I should value sexual purity, sexual integrity. Um, and I'm going to, I believe, I can, I can summarize it at least, at least in two words, worship and glory. Worship and glory are the two incentives that the scriptures gives to every human being, but especially those that are single as we are waiting to express this gift from God in the context of marriage because that's one of the titles of this lesson, right? How to have great sex in marriage, um, because outside of sex is not great, not for the long haul. Worship and glory. I want to read some verses for you to help you understand how this worship and glory um, present a, a, a love-based, a positive perspective on sustaining and maintaining sexual integrity, sexual purity. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your, not your mind, not your spirit, not your soul, but your bodies. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your true and proper worship. I'm reading that from out of the NIV. Um, because the NIV translates that word service that the King James and New King James translate as, you know, what it actually could be translated in from the Greek, worship. My, what I do with my body ought to be consistently, anything and everything I do with my body ought to be an act of worship. And because sex has been presented as a, a God is against sex, God is, you know, thinks of sex as dirty, as something that, you know, you hide, you don't want to... Of course, this doesn't make sense. How could I worship God through my sexuality? Well, that's because that's you are a sexual being. You are a male. You are a female. Anything and everything you do, you do as a male and as a female. And therefore, you express your sexuality not simply with what happens in a bedroom, but what happens in your school, the way you, you uh, think things through, the way you reason, um, the way you process your emotions, all of that is part of who you are. You are a sexual being. Everything you do has sexual meaning. And we've narrowed sexuality as to just one part of our body that is done during specific uh, times in our lives, when in reality, uh, what a boy does, and what a girl does, what a young man does, what a young woman does, what we do as adults, as males and females, is defined by our sexuality. Our brains have unique uh, components to it, ways, unique ways to relating to the world around us, to stimulus, to emotions, to decisions. The way my wife thinks is different than the way I think, not simp just simply because we're two different individuals, but because of our gender uh, uniqueness. It's beautiful. So... We worship God with our bodies, and when, if I'm going to worship God, that puts sex in the realm of holiness. Sex is something holy. It's beautiful. It is something that I need to feel comfortable bringing into the presence of God. Um, I remember when th that thought first entered my mind, and I shared it with some friends that, you know, this is when I was a single man, that I want a wife that on my honeymoon, her and I can pray together and then have a Bible study <laughs> after we know each other. And people were like, what? You're going to pray? And I'm like, um, like what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close the curtain so God doesn't see? What? Why do I want to leave God out of that experience of my life? That says a lot about what you think about sex. That says a lot about what you think about God and sex and yourself. You have relegated, and it's not your fault, our culture bombards us with this false idea of sex so that we relegate it to only something that we do with a part of ourselves and not our complete self, and something that we do sometimes when in reality, sexual expression happens when you sing, when you write, when you draw, when, when you express yourself as a man or as a woman. You are expressing your gender, which is your sexuality. And in the context of specific, and you know, we're talking about sex, sex, the, the part that we do in marriage, 
you cannot just do that with your body. You do that with your intellect, with your emotions, with your spirit, with your spiritual part. Um, so to think in those terms really heals our ability to enjoy sex. It, it opens up to us the beauty of it. And now it's no longer something that I can do with a part of me without recognizing that it will have consequences to the rest of me because it will. Um, and notice that, that Paul makes a direct link between the body and worship. What you do with your body ought to be worshiped to the Lord. And sex is done with your body, which is also part where your intellect, your emotions, and your spirit is. And we already talked about the sexual organ, right? The sexual organ is the, the brain. You got it. Number two, uh, when I said glory, we give God glory. We worship him and we give God glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 and 20. These are the positive incentives as to why every human being ought to have, have high regards for their sexuality, for their sexual gift that they have, their sexual integrity, sexual purity, or as we've talked earlier, their virginity. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he or she who commits sexual immorality sins against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So here's it's very clear. Glorify God in your body. And this is in the context of sexual immorality and sexual purity. There is two paths. The path of sexual integrity, sexual purity gives God glory. When you choose to be pure, when you choose to have sexual integrity, you are choosing to give God glory. And before we move forward, I need to make this statement um, to clarify. I get asked this question often by young adults, by teenagers, when they are in a relationship. Pastor, how far is too far? Jesus answers that question in Matthew 5, 28, when he says, If a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he has already committed adultery with her. As far as God is concerned, you can lose your virginity with your clothes on. Man, that's horrible. Who can live like that? Someone that is converted. Someone that wants to worship God with their bodies. Someone that wants to give God glory with their bodies. Someone that is not thinking, I better not do this because I'm going to catch an STD. I better not do this because I'm going to get pregnant or get caught or lose this or lose that. Or my parents will get in trouble. Like, If you're thinking like that, you may not be converted yet. Because God is not even in your radar screen. And what you are choosing to engage in is one of the most beautiful gifts God has given to you. And you don't know how valuable it is. And Satan wants you to, to take that from you for chump change. If we knew the value of our sexuality, we would not squander it the way we do in our society. And it is because we have, as, and I put, point the finger to the church, not the world. The church remains silent. The church has never invested time exploring this to the point where as a culture, as a church, we can speak openly about this and not feel ashamed or embarrassed of it. about it. Um, I'm going to read a verse that in the Bible for me helps uh, congeal, makes this tangible. You know, we're talking about flee from sexual immorality, glorify God with your body, offer your body as a living sacrifice. It is your act of worship. I immediately thought of this story, and you probably may have thought about it too already. It's found in Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 39, verses 6 through 12, and it reads like this. Joseph was, was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in this house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against my boss? No, that's not how Joseph says it. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
God was in the center of Joseph's uh, radar screen. Why am I not going to sleep with you? He doesn't say, because I'm going to lose my job. He doesn't say that because I could get caught. Or what if you get pregnant? Or have you done this with other people? Do you have an STD? Joseph doesn't say any of these things. Do you have protection? Those are not the questions or the thoughts that are in Joseph's mind. His foremost argument as to why he's going to sustain and maintain his sexual purity, his sexual integrity is God. He is choosing to worship God with his body. He is choosing to give God glory with his body. And that is what gives him endurance. Because listen to the verse, next, verse, next verse, Genesis 39, 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. There's a lot said right there. You could spend some time studying that little phrase, to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. No one would have seen this. That she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, flee sexual immorality. Now you see it in the flesh. This is a story. Joseph fled and ran outside. Why did he run outside? Not because he was afraid of losing his retirement pension. Not because he was afraid of the scandal. He ran because he. this running was an act of worship. This running was his choice to give God glory. When we think of our, our sexuality in this term, it becomes a positive incentive because of God's mercies, because of his goodness, because of how good he's been to me. I want to worship him. I want my loyalties to be with him. And that is a powerful transformative principle of, from which to live. It is not longer, you know, what if my parents find out? Why, why aren't you concerned that God will see this? I wish uh, my church, my pastor would have presented these things to me and my youth group because I saw the heartache and the brokenness that it comes when we misuse sex. Because sex will not just affect, you, you, you can have tons of sex and never catch an STD. You can have tons of sex and never get pregnant. But promiscuity, having sex outside of the context of God will affect your intellectual capacities, emotional abilities, and definitely your spiritual life. You cannot separate that. You cannot be doing things with your boyfriend and your girlfriend and expect to be singing and have influence and, and participate in the church with efficiency and efficacy when we are failing in this department. Why is worshiping God and glorifying Him with my sexuality and through my sexuality with my body when I am single so crucial? Because if you learn to glorify and worship God now when you're single by your sexual purity, by your sexual integrity through your body, as a single person, you are learning to do this when you get married. Don't think that it changes just because you get married. Don't think that temptations don't come just because you get married. David was a married man when he did what he did with Bathsheba. Sexual purity is something that we need to practice and embrace whether we are single or whether we are married. And because all of us begin life as a single person, it is crucial that you learn and you experience this in your single years so that when you become married, you have already established a pattern, a foundation upon which you can build your marriage. Many marriages, many people enter marriage thinking marriage is going to cure my promiscuity. Marriage is going to cure my wandering with, through the magazine aisles or through the internet or through channels. Marriage will not cure any of that. What you are bringing into your marriage will destroy your marriage will bring deep pain, heartache, misunderstandings, and a whole bunch of dysfunctions. That's why the world does not tell you this. The movie stars, the things that we see in the tabloids, those are the side effects of a society that despises sexual purity and sexual integrity. Because um, I'm going to read a, a, another verse from Paul, Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all. He doesn't say marriage should be honored by married people. He says marriage should be honored by all. And if you're a single person with the hopes of the future getting married someday, you ought to be honoring your marriage now before it happens by embracing sexual integrity, sexual purity. If you have 
not uh, been able to do this or you've lost this sexual purity in the past uh, before your conversion today today you can make a choice today you can say wow i did not i've never seen sex this way i need to change i need to experience this uh, and we, we haven't gotten to this yet we're, we're still still uh, developing this uh, idea but hopefully hopefully it's provoking in you desires to want to worship god to want to give god glory with your body with your sexuality hebrews 13 4 marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure even before marriage don't we don't we can't say well i'll be pure and i'll be faithful once after i get married you choose to keep your marriage bed pure now as a single person of course definitely after you get married but for sure before you get married why not bring purity into your marriage think about that joseph was tempted day by day what sustained him a desire to worship god and give him glory and in order for that to happen we need to study further you need to study that concept further what is worship how do i why do i worship god how can i worship god how can i give him glory all of those concepts now become meaningful because that is what will sustain you every day as satan comes knocking on your door wanting you to go to that movie channel or that television program or that website or that magazine or cross boundaries with your boyfriend and or your girlfriend cross boundaries that you know you may think well you know it's just we're not going that far we haven't gone all the way and that's not how the bible presents it the bible wants you to have great sex in marriage and in order for that to happen you need to choose to give god glory and worship him today with your sexuality so these bible reasons for maintaining and guarding sexual integrity and purity are solid they will stand the test of time and like with joseph the insistent and incessant non-stop pull of this world to sin against your body against your sexuality and thus sin against god will lose their hold on you choosing to worship god choosing to give him glory will give you a power you do not have to resist the tsunami of temptations and pressures to despise one of the most precious gifts God has entrusted you with. Will you choose to worship Him? Will you choose to give Him glory? I want to close this podcast with two short thoughts that come from Monday and Friday. Uh, the first thought is, do not listen to nor believe the lie that sex is love or love is sex. That is a big, huge lie. Uh, even the way that we express sex in secular terms, you know, we make love. You cannot manufacture love. You know, that, that expression, though you can say it and, and, you know, you're not sinning if you say it, but you can certainly be led to sin if you do not understand what you're actually doing. You're not making love. You might be expressing love, but sex does not produce, nor can it sustain love. I'm going to read one Bible verse that pro provides a truthful look at reality in regards to sexuality. 1 John 4, 8 says, He who does not, who, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Sex is not love. Love is not sex. Sex cannot produce love. Sex can be, can be the expression of love, but lo God is love. God is love. So sex can only be the expression of it. You cannot manufacture it. So if your boyfriend tells you that this is how you will prove your love for him, uh, I'm going to tell my daughters, if a boyfriend ever says that to you, that you know you got if you if you truly love me you will give me my your virginity you're gonna punch him in the face. <laughs> Sorry about that, and I'm not gonna edit that out of that podcast, out of this podcast. But I'm gonna be very tempted <laughs> to tell my daughter to do that. I don't know. I have to pray about it, but I will definitely tell her walk away. Walk away. That brother needs conversion. He has no clue what sex is. He has no clue what worship and giving God glory is. I pray I have two daughters in a world in which women get pressured to devalue the greatest gift God has given them and experience terrible, painful consequences because of that. And men too. 
men are bombarded with false ideas of who they are as men and how they ought to relate to sexuality. And I think that by, by um, addressing this lie can hopefully begin to help us to think clear. Sex is not love. Sex cannot produce love. Sex can just be an expression. And since sex cannot produce or sustain love, that in turn means I cannot produce or sustain love on my own. Um, I have sex with my body, but we just learned it's not just my body, but my intellect, my emotions, my spirituality. And if sex cannot produce love, that means I can't produce it. I am not a source of love. I am nowhere near a reliable source of love for anyone. There's a book that I would recommend for you if you are single for sure and if you're married for sure. <laughs> it's called it is a book called Adventist Home. And you can find it online for free. I, I, I'm going to try to remind myself to put a link on this podcast to where you can download an app that has all the writings by the author, Ellen White. And you can read this book. And there's a, a quote from page 67 that I've shared with our Oakwood Academy students, academic students. Um, and um, it goes like this. The heart yearns for human love. But this love, human love, this love is not strong enough or pure enough, or precious enough to supply the place of the love of Jesus. You and I naturally crave, we yearn for human love. But every human being, our capacity to love is not strong enough, or pure enough, or precious enough to supply, supply the place of the love of Jesus. What that means is, that if you are seeking a girlfriend that does not love God, does not have God in her life, she will not satisfy you because her love will not be strong enough or pure enough or precious enough for you, for what you deserve, and vice versa. If you have a boyfriend that does not pray, if you have a boyfriend that has no thoughts for God, God is not in his radar screen at all. He will never be able to love you the way you would love to be loved. We yearn for human love, but that love is destined to fail us time and time again. Only the love of Jesus. I was watching a, uh, a, a instructional video this past week on social media and how can the church use social media. And one of the slides caught my attention. It says that the top searches in all the search engines, Google, Bing, DuckDuckGo, all those search engines, the top searches are two. The two things that people search the most on these search engines are sex and God. We yearn for human love and we think that sex is love when the reality is God is love and only his love can satisfy. One last verse. John chapter 4, 13 through 14, Jesus answered and said to a woman, a woman who had yearned for human love, but found that this love failed her five times. Whoever drinks of this water, human love. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water, sex, thinking that it will produce love. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, because it will forever fail you. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Because Jesus' love is strong enough, pure enough, and precious enough. But the water that I will give him will become in him or her a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Which means that other people can drink from the water that is bubbling out of you because of Jesus. And they will experience his love. And through you, they can now turn to him and experience full satisfaction. Not because the love has come from you, but from him. A commercial many years ago said, um, obey your thirst. Obey your thirst was the tagline. And then they offered you water loaded with sugar to quench that thirst. How like the world? That is how the world functions. It states a true need, but a false solution. And sex is not the solution. Neither is human love. Marriage is not a solution. Jesus is the solution. You know, we are all dry, empty wells when it comes to love. No human will ever be able to quench that thirst, that thirst that is in your heart, in my heart, 
that thirst that we wake up with every single day of our life. Where do you go when you thirst for love? Do you go to places you ought not? To people that you shouldn't go to? That will fail you time and time again? The Bible through this lesson invites you and I to go to Jesus. The Jesus who promises you that in Him, your thirst to be loved, your thirst to be valued, your thirst to be accepted will always, always be satisfied. I sincerely hope you received a special blessing from today's episode on devotional. I pray it has inspired you to turn the study of God's Word into a daily habit, as well as using the study tool of our Sabbath School lesson. If you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes or whichever platform you listen in, would you please do so now? This way, you will be notified each time I publish a new episode. It would also mean a lot to me if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast. You doing this will help others discover this spiritual resource. I would really appreciate this. I would love for you to connect with me through my Facebook page, Devotional Podcast. There's a link in the show's description that will take you there. I will regularly post additional resources there as well. It would be so good to hear what you like and what I could do to make this podcast a bigger blessing for you. Lastly, would you consider making a monthly 99 cent contribution to this podcast? It would help offset the long-term cost of producing each episode. Thanks again for listening. Look forward to our next time together in the next episode of Devotional. Until then, this is Pastor Ariel inviting you to devote all you are and all you have to our Lord Jesus Christ. <music>